you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. It is not just DJ and Bucky today. It is DJ, Bucky, Lance Zerline, Rhett Lewis. We've got the four of us all together for the first time since, I believe, where was it? The uh, the Senior Bowl, right? Nice to have everybody in here. Yes, how are we doing? We're all in the back seat of a car. Yes, we were. We were. Buck, how are you doing, buddy? How are you doing? Man, I'm doing all right. I can't complain. Lance, what are you doing? Eating a cookie and some fish tacos, but it doesn't matter because it's just an audio. That's, yeah, it's that's just a hell of a mix. You can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. Brett? Cookie and fish tacos simultaneously. You are a savage, Lance Zerline, and that's one of the reasons why I love you. Um, I am uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm hanging in here after free agency frenzy that has uh, now wrapped up and uh, getting ready for whatever the new normal is here. Yeah, it is uh, definitely interesting times, man. The uh, uh, the fact we can all get together, though, uh, even remotely like this, is pretty cool. I'm looking forward to talking some football with you guys here. Um, first thing, first topic here, I, I do want to get – Lance, you had a mock draft, so I'm going to get to that at some point in time because uh, I need you to defend yourself on a couple points. But, uh, Buck, I want to start with you, and then uh, you guys go ahead and just follow. But, Buck, just your thoughts. I know you went on Twitter um, as the uh, – Next to Maurice Jones-Drew, you're the second uh, most powerful public defender of the running back position. Um, so your thoughts on Gurley getting cut and then quickly uh, getting picked up and signed with the Falcons. <laughs> That's funny you talk about my defense of the running back. I'm not really defending running backs in terms of um, like them being picked. I, I think the thing that I, it blows my mind is we don't want to pick them early and we don't want to pay them late. So I'm trying to just figure out, like, in the running back uh, pecking order, where's the best place to get running backs? And so when I talk to defensive coordinators and running back coaches, they all have told me to a man, there's a huge difference in having a guy and a handful of guys occupying the position, meaning that when you have an elite running back, life is so much easier, not only on them when it comes to teaching and getting them ready, but on the quarterback, on the offensive line. And from a production standpoint, it changes the way the defense plays. Whereas if you have a handful of running backs playing by committee and they're just okay guys, it then puts the premium on the play caller in the scheme to generate the production. And so I don't care which way you go. It just depends on you have to know exactly what you have as a play caller and as a schemer to know which kind of running back to get. So I think my frustration stems from everyone just saying, oh, you can get a running back anywhere and everywhere. And I just don't believe that to be true. What do you think, Lance? I think you can find running backs, but you got to know what you're looking for. And and I think what Bucky said, you know, my, my mind kind of changed, but it's to me, there's some caveats. Number one, you can't tell me 
that there are a lot of running backs that could do what LaDainian Tomlinson did. LaDainian Tomlinson could create something out of nothing. That, that's special. That's talent that just not everybody has. Um, one of the arguments about finding running backs is, well, look at Orlandis Gary and look at these running backs at Denver after Terrell Davis left. Well, let me know if they did what Terrell Davis did because I didn't see that. So, yes, you can find running backs who can make your running game functional or even a plus running game, but I still do think that special running backs are special running backs. With that said, you know, there's just no doubt there's enough there's – enough information out there to tell you that it's awfully tough going into year six or year seven and paying running backs a premium price. I mean, that's, that is not a, a great uh, value structure. And so it's tough. I feel what Bucky's saying, but at the same time, it's awfully tough for Todd, for, for Todd Gurley to be making that amount of money right now. David Johnson would be making this amount of money right now because it ends up hurting the team and it, and it hastens their departure from the team even faster. Right. And so then what kind of effect will this have as we continue looking at taking running back prospects higher in the draft? I mean, clearly some of the last ones that have gone at the very, very top, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, uh, four overall and 16, Saquon, two overall and 18, uh, Fournette, a top 10 guy as well, but not quite on that level, the last two. Um, you know, what, what does that say for a guy like, uh, you know, maybe Saquon is the outlier. But are you not are you not going to give him that kind of deal? Is that going to force, you know, teams to, you know, maybe not be afraid of taking a running back up at the top, but also not being afraid to just let them walk after their five years are up? Um, You know, maybe that's more what we see is we still see an emphasis on on getting guys in the building that have that elite talent at the running back spot, but then just, you know, being willing um, being ready to not give them that next contract and just you know let them figure it out after five years with another team. Maybe that's maybe that's kind of the formula now. Yeah, and I, I look at one thing. I think that people that really push back on the running back thing. One of the one of the reasons, and I, I want to get Buck get your thoughts on this, because if you go through and look at the teams that have hoisted the trophy at the end of the season, I, I believe you got to go back to 2013, probably with Marshawn. Um, where you would say, okay, they had a big time, you know, a big time star running back kind of leading leading the offense. Where I, you know, James White was obviously phenomenal, but look at, you know, people would argue and say, well, look where they got him. Sony Michelle had a pretty good run in the postseason, who was a first round pick. But for the most part, even though running back coaches believe it, and I'm with you, Buck, in terms of the offense looks different when you have a big time dude there. And just in terms of winning the ultimate prize. There, we just haven't seen those running back led teams. It would it would have taken like the Tennessee Titans to win the whole thing last year. It would it would have been okay? This is a running back driven team, and they won the whole thing. So I think that's the pushback that you get on that. I think by that metric, then if we judge everything strictly by the team that hoisted the trophy, we also haven't seen a team that has had a quarterback on a major deal win a Super Bowl. We also haven't seen a big money wide receiver win a Super Bowl. And so if we're basing it off of that, then we'll never be correct when it comes to how we spend our money and how we value the position. What I would say is this, and I think there are two separate conversations when it comes to the running back. Um, Some of the conversation is, A, should you pay the running back? I would say, no, you don't need to pay the running back. But I think a better model when it comes to using the running back is to draft one high, like because the ones that have been drafted high, 
with the exception of Leonard Fournette, they all have popped from Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, everyone that has been a first round running back with it between uh, Fournette and then Rashad Penny, who I didn't think was a first round pick, but he's a first rounder, so we have to throw him in there. But all Gurley's in there too on that. Yeah, Gurley's in the first round. But all of those guys that have been drafted in the first round have all popped of late. And so my thing would be draft one early. When he gets to the end of the deal, you have an option to either draft another one early or play the slow play game where you franchise, franchise, and eventually let him walk. Because that would give you seven years of service where you never really have to lock in at a high number or an exceptional number that kind of hamstrings or puts an albatross around the franchise. When you draft a lower round guy, if we go and we kind of look because like we're, we're kind of playing the numbers in the first round, there are only 32 guys. When we go to like the fourth round in terms of like the vastness of what we see in those lower rounds well, the odds are better because you have more guys that you're flowing through there. But how many of those guys that are later round guys have the ability to sustain their success year after year after year? So you actually put more pressure on your personnel departments to keep identifying these guys and you kind of throwing them in and out each year. And so to me, I just think it's hard to develop a level of consistency when you are just kind of hodgepodge into running back position. Here's the other problem. I think we have gotten into a, a space now with analytics becoming a bigger part of the NFL that everyone wants to quantify everything. And you want to find, well, what's quantifiable? Well, how much? What's the value for this? And what's the value for that? And, and the fact of the matter is, as we've seen in sports for all of eternity, there is a myriad of ways to win. There is ways that work for one team that may not work for another. There is different ways to build winning organizations. Some are built to last longer. Some are built to win more quickly. But I think that's what we have to keep in mind with running backs is that I don't see any problem with the Raiders drafting Josh Jacobs. I don't see any problem with DeAndre Swift going in the first round because you have five years of control. And as Bucky said, you actually have more than five years of control. You've got the player gets paid on the franchise deal, which they won't love, but they'll still be getting good money on a franchise deal. And it does give you at least five and maybe as much as six or even seven years to, I wouldn't say evaluate, but to use that player. So I still think that drafting a running back in the first round can can definitely make sense, but I do think it's cyclical. After that 2005 draft with Cadillac Williams and Sed Benson and, and Ronnie Brown, there was a big backlash after that, after that, like, whoa, we cannot take running backs. Eventually there was a backlash where they said, we can't take running backs this high. But then all of a sudden, here was Zeke Elliott. And that was considered crazy. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, well, let's get Leonard Fournette and let's start getting, you know, Christian McCaffrey and let's let's get Saquon Barkley. I think we're having, uh, I think Leonard Fournette is the guy that everyone's kind of backing off of now. Like, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't draft running backs this early. Yeah, I, look, I we've talked about this a bunch on this podcast over the years, and to me, I. I, I just believe in what you guys are saying about renting the running back versus buying the running back. It, the second contract's where you can get yourself into some trouble. But I also believe in terms of the team building, I think you're better off building the rest of your team. And people talk about dropping the quarterback in so you can have him on the rookie deal. I think about the same thing. The running back's right there with it because I don't want to waste, as we're going to see happen, you are going to waste the majority of Saquon Barkley's quality carries on bad football teams. 
I would much rather have built up the entire team and then be able to drop in a talented running back, and then I'm going to get a four or five year stretch of his best carries actually meaning something. And Christian McCaffrey's a little bit in the in the same boat where he's having an unbelievable run, but their team's not good. Um, so that that to me is is the best way to do it. Build up your entire team, then you want to take a first round running back, then off you go, which it, again leads to teams picking towards the bottom of the first round they might be the benefactors of this whole this whole situation because running backs will drop those teams are more complete that's why they're picking towards the bottom of the first round and they're going to get premier players they can drop in and let them run and play on a good football team and not waste any of their carries so um that, that's kind of so my, DJ, what do you think on that buck yeah dj like to 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 piggyback off of that i think you can make the same exact case with wide receivers if you really look at the wide receivers that are really, really doing it and doing it at a high level, like, yeah, we'll talk about Julio and DeAndre Hopkins being first-round picks, but Michael Thomas was a second-rounder. A.J. Brown was a second-rounder. Terry McLaurin was, what, a third-rounder. Tyreek Hill was later. If you really think about, like, your offensive personnel, if we're going on the quote-unquote value-based system, then we wouldn't expend any first-round picks on any of those guys because the odds would say that you can find a lead horse at wide receiver and running back outside of the first round. And so the first round, I guess, should be reserved for quarterbacks. And big guys. Pass rushers. I mean, that's that's it. You know, like, if, if we're really playing the marquee value game because we've seen too many pass catchers come out of other uh, rounds to say that, hey, we should go and get uh, a first-round wide receiver because he's going to make a difference. Yeah, uh, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great point. Rhett, I want to hit you up on this one because I had this topic, and it's not in the sheet you're looking at, but we talked about it a little bit before we started today. Um, thinking about this from a standpoint of where we are with coronavirus and the elimination of the offseason, by all accounts, it looks like, man, we're, we're not going to have one. Um, so with that in mind, think about the NFC East division. And think about the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a team that has Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator for the last five years with Doug Peterson as the offensive coordinator slash head coach for the last five years. So you've got a system in place with the majority of your roster returning. Everybody knows it. And you're in a division with three teams, three other teams that are breaking in new head coaches and new schemes with no offseason. I mean, you talk about a decided advantage uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. That, that's, that's something I don't think many people are focusing on right now with everything that's going on. Man, it's crazy. Uh, it, it really is. And, you know, you could, you know, and obviously they're they're set at, at the key positions, you know, as well, like quarterback. And I know they're bringing in some guys, um, you know, to kind of fill in and uh, with what Javon Hargrave and Darius Slay coming in uh, to kind of s- supplement their defense. But having the systems in place is, I mean, can you imagine being a first time head, a first time head coach or a first year head coach with a new team right now and not getting the benefit? of the OTAs, not getting the benefit of the, the board time with your quarterback or the, um, you know, mini camp at, at this point, you know, has to be in jeopardy at some point um, or just being pushed back. So, uh, man, it's going it, to it'll, it'll almost be like, you know, coming out of the lockout and everything just being really truncated and, you know, a, a really quick start up again. And I'm also looking at like, you know, the AFC East in addition for a slightly different reason. So like you're the bills, you're the jets and the dolphins. Like, all right, we finally got Tom Brady out of the division. Let's go work. Well, we can't, you know? Uh, and I get it that those, those staffs have, have been in place, particularly in Buffalo a little longer, but for the jets and the dolphins still just a, you know, a year in a year plus in 
to those regimes there and, and wanting to take advantage of this opportunity in the AFC East uh, and just kind of having to wait. And then, you know, the, the last piece of it, you know, how much work is Tom Brady going to be able to get with his guys now? You know, we know how um, how much that's a, a part of, you know, what he does in his workout regimen in the offseason and getting together with the guys. And now he can't do it. So at least not for now. So there's, I mean, there's a, a ton of circumstances here that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up the the Tom Brady thing because I think it's, it's really interesting to look at this. And I know that uh, we're getting the parade ready to go at one bucks place and the Tampa Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl because Tom Brady shows up at 43. But I do wonder if people have considered like how much the lack of offseason work is going to impact the Buccaneers offense, how much work Bruce Arians needs to do to completely revamp his style of offense uh, with Tom Brady. Because when you dig deep into how Bruce Arians typically plays, it's completely opposite the way that Tom Brady plays from the pocket. And the quarterbacks that have played under Bruce Arians, all of them have taken 40 or more sacks multiple times under his direction. And Tom Brady's not a guy that typically operates like that, particularly with a vertical passing game. So I just wonder how the pieces of the puzzle fit when you don't have an offseason to really analyze the, the pieces that you have on the outside and how they work to elevate Tom Brady as a passer. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I reached out to a, to a friend on Tampa on their staff who said, we've got a bunch of passing concepts built in. This concept, the idea that our vertical concept, which I don't think is perfectly suited, obviously, for, for Tom Brady, but their, their idea in Tampa is this is ridiculous. Just like running teams aren't specifically zone or specifically, you know, gap scheme – they all run a they all run an uh, an amalgamation of different schemes and concepts, and it's the same way with with Bruce's passing attack. You just don't see it that often. But I've been told, oh, they absolutely have have concepts that will fit Tom Brady and will work with Tom Brady to fit exactly what it is that he needs. They'll make the offense work around him. Now, I think Tom Brady, because of who he is and his experience and because of the talent of his wide receivers, I don't think it's going to be as big a problem, to be honest with you. I think when you look at Cincinnati with Joe Burrow lands there, for example, that's going to be really, really difficult. Look at Miami with the amount of free agents and draft picks that they're going to bring in. I think they could have some issues. Anybody who's trying to work a new quarterback in is going to have major problems. I think the Houston Texans without DeAndre Hopkins, who's been such a safety blanket for Deshaun Watson. What happens now with that, you know, with a quarterback like that who's had such a wide receiver one, a heavily targeted wide receiver one, that's going to make it more difficult for him as well. So, um this is going to be, and I think we all agree that defenses clearly are ahead of offenses as it pertains to, you know, how they can pick up a season without having as much work in the offseason. I think I think they can pick up where where they left off for the most part. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all comes together here in the offseason. Next topic, uh, I want to get to real quick. I love this trade for the uh, for the Eagles picking up Darius Slay for a three and a five. They end up giving him a new contract, which uh, looks like three years, fifty million with thirty guaranteed. So if you just look at the guaranteed number, basically you're getting 
it sounds like, you know, two years, 15 uh, a year. If you just do the guarantees, we'll see how the, the structure of the contract looks. But um, I know he's, uh, he's a little bit older than Byron Jones, but I think he's been a better football player than Byron Jones. Certainly somebody that makes a lot more plays on the ball. Uh, Lance, oh, without question. Oh, Bucky, jump in here on this one. Because my, my thought twofold. Number one is I like the deal for the Eagles in terms of bringing in Darius Slay. But I tweeted out uh, yesterday, it also is an interesting point um, about you look at the Belichick tree of coaches. And Bill Belichick, think about the Richard Seymours and the Ty Laws, all these you know great players that they allowed to leave uh, one way or the other. Some were traded, some they just let, let leave via free agency. But you always had the combination of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady that they never skipped a beat and they just kept it going. And now you look at the disciples, though, guys like Darius Slay, Matt Patricia decides to move on from. You look, we talked about Bill O'Brien you know, previously moving on from DeAndre Hopkins. He traded Clowney as well. Um, you look at, at Flores, and I know that's kind of a group effort down there in Miami. It's a rebuild. But guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil are top five type players at their position. These guys are not easy to replace, man. And uh, and that, to me, is something that's very difficult when you don't have the, the Bill Belichick-Tom Brady combination to cover it up. Yeah, I think that's true, DJ. And I think it's one of those things that's overlooked. I think when you read um, the stuff that came out about Darius Slay and Matt Patricia's relationship, uh, and then you see the stuff with like Bill O'Brien and the stuff with DeAndre Hopkins that kind of came out. And we don't know if any of that stuff is true, but there does seem to be a devaluing of their top players. And I can't really figure it out because um, the places where I've worked, the places where I played, like talent matters. Like typically, I mean, we will say the most talented team is typically the one that that wins at the end. And I know New England has kind of set that uh, narrative on its head with the way they've been able to kind of win with what appears to be like a hodgepodge of players. But that might really be a testament to Tom Brady's greatness and Bill Belichick's greatness, being able to overcome those things. But I think talent reigns supreme, and I just don't know if Patricia and Flores and O'Brien and some of the other Patriots disciples really grasp that aspect of team building, that you have to have players to win at a high level, and you can't just dismiss all your A-level players because of a personality conflict or something that you don't necessarily like about them. Yeah, I'm with you completely, and this is – look, TB12 covers up a lot. And those of us who study team-building stuff, we know that Bill Belichick is very talented, but he's had plenty He's had plenty of personnel misses, especially in the draft. And he cuts bait quickly, and people don't linger on it because he's got titles and because he's had Tom Brady to cover it up. Tom Brady b- began to develop a synergy with Rob Gronkowski. And when Gronkowski at various times over the last five or six years hasn't been on the field, Tom Brady hasn't been the same guy. When Tom Brady's not there, you're going to see the Bill Belichick's not the same guy. Bill Belichick built the fronts. He would spend first-round picks on guys like Logan Mankins. He would trade up for Matt Light. He would target Sebastian Vollmer. Um, you know, he, he made, obviously, defensive linemen. We know about the defensive linemen. Dante Hightower was a first-round pick. He made the fronts his – he made it very, very critical. Then he spent money for his cornerbacks. He has a way of operating that I think is good. However, unless you look at it very, very carefully and through the lens – of an elite quarterback, I think you start making mistakes. And I'm with you. I couldn't believe that I saw Miami letting Minka Fitzpatrick and um, and Laramie Tunsil leave. And I think the Texans' offer for Tunsil was such that Miami said, look, we don't have a choice. 
we have to move Laramie Tunsil now because this is just crazy what we're getting in return for him. Because at what point, you still have to have, even when you have all this draft capital, you still need to build a core. And those are young really talented core guys that Miami let get out the door. And so I, I, that didn't make a lot of sense to me because now you have to start over and then hope that you evaluate to the same level that you evaluated previously when those players came through your doors. And there's no guarantee that happens. Yeah, it is a tall order. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about, you know, these are good players or potentially even Pro Bowl players. I'm talking about these are, you know, top five caliber players at their position and you can say oh we have all these draft picks but and buck we've talked about this all the time it's one thing to have the picks but man it ain't easy you know it is not easy turning picks into elite top five level players of their position that is not not an easy chore no it's not an easy chore and i think sometimes uh i think everyone feels like it's really easy to hit big time players and you know when you let all pros walk out the building man, the odds are against you that you're going to replace it with another all-pro at that position. And so um, when I think about Matt Patricia and how he wants to play, the fact that he has seven or eight former New England Patriots there, and I would say that some of those guys that he brought in there aren't necessarily high-level players. They just kind of know the system. I just think you have to be careful when you value system over players sometimes. I believe there has to be a synergy, like the players that you want have to fit the system that you desire, or you have to be able to tweak your system to fit the players. But man, I'm just not in the business of letting a whole lot of blue chippers walk out. And that's, um, it kind of leads me a little bit like the Byron Jones conversation kind of drives me crazy. I know Byron Jones is getting big money and he is like, kind of like the, the bell of the ball when it came to free agency at corner. But, man, I just have a tough time looking at the tape and saying that this is the premier corner at the position when I don't see any plays. At some point, I just want to see some plays on the ball, some turnover, something. I just don't view him in that light. So it would be interesting to see how he plays out in Miami because they committed big dough to their cornerback position with Xavier Howard and Jones commanding top dollar at the positions. No doubt. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together and how it all works down there in Miami. They've got a, they've got three picks, and they've got to figure out a way to get this thing nailed in the draft, too, to, to see what they have as a ball club. I, I wanna, we had some other things we're going to talk about here about some pro days and things like that, but, but Lance dropped a mock draft buck. So can we, uh, can we move in that direction? Because I have some questions for Lance yeah, on this it. bad boy. Um, all right, we won't want to spoil it, the whole entire mock draft. You can go to NFL.com and find it. I'm sure it'll be front and center. Um, it'll be the biggest thing on the site today because there's nothing else going on. And Lance also uh, did us all a solid and created some great talking points here. Uh, Lance, first pick in the draft. I'm looking at this, and for some reason it says the Miami Dolphins have the first pick. Uh, why don't you run us through that one? Yeah, so I decided, you know what, there's a little bit of – there's a little bit of buzz about Miami being interested in Joe Burrow. They've got all the draft capital in the world, thanks to the Houston Texans, and getting rid of the good players we just talked about. Um, why not have a little exercise and contingency plans, and let's let's have a little fun with Mach 2. I like, I like to do some things in Mach 1 and Mach 2 that are a little more bold and a little more aggressive and see what happens to the board. And so that's what I did. I moved um, – yeah, as you guys know, a lot of people read too much into it. What are you hearing? I'm not hearing anything. What I'm hearing is that Miami 
might have an interest in in Joe Burrow, so let's run with it. And let's see what happens if in a world where Miami makes a trade for Joe Burrow, what happens to the rest of the mock draft? And so what I did was I gave and I reached out to a couple of general managers. I asked about the value of three firsts, you know, number 18, number 26, and of course number five for number one. And their thought was <clears throat> that uh, the Houston Texans' former first-round pick, the 26th, wouldn't be as valuable because you're stuck on a five-year deal and that it might be more valuable to start to increase a package of second-round picks instead and you know, but, but have more draft picks. So all I focused on was saying, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip-flop one and five. I'm going to give Cincinnati the 18th pick, and then I'm going to let the rest worry about itself. I'm not going to get caught up in what the trade is. And once I did that, it was very interesting to see what began to happen next because I don't go into it with a preconceived notion. I had Isaiah Simmons falling to number eight. Um, I had Arizona saying, wait a minute, we need tackle, but we can't let Isaiah Simmons get past us. I had to decide whether or not CeeDee Lamb would go number 10 uh, to Cleveland with the thought that maybe Odell Beckham could be on the way out. Maybe they know that Beckham is not long for that team. Um, I had to consider whether or not being a Zach Taylor being the head coach of the South team and being the head coach of Justin Herbert might be something that would make Cincinnati a little bit more comfortable. And as I said in my write-up, this is specifically if Cincinnati had the feeling that Joe Burrow might push back against being selected or wouldn't want to be the face of the franchise long-term, then this is something that they could consider. And once I went through the entire you know, the, the entire thought process, I said, you know what? Here's a scenario where Justin Herbert is five. He was coached by the Cincinnati um, coaching staff, and I've heard that they actually liked him at the, at the Senior Bowl. He had a solid combine. He's got a ton of physical traits and talents, and Cincinnati's not one quarterback away. They're multiple players away. So once I did that, then I had the next thing that happened was, well, what do I do with Tua? What well, doesn't change? I don't think Detroit wants to sit at number three. I think they would love to get additional picks if they're not going to select Tua, but we know that they have to have a CUDA. So I or I would assume with Slay gone now. So what I did was I said, who could could I flip-flop three and six? It would make sense for the Chargers to get the face of the franchise right now to excite the city and the fan base. Would it make sense for Detroit to move back to six? Could they still get what they need? And I, I went through the process and I said, yeah, they could still land Jeffrey Akuda in this spot. I believe they could. So, you know, people read too much into the mock drafts, but you got to throw some curveballs out there to see what happens next because curveballs are thrown at most drafts that we that we watch. Real live drafts have curveballs and they have an effect on the contingency plans for teams afterwards. Buck, I don't know if you got a chance to see this bad boy yet, but it does get kind of fun. And, and Lance, yeah, no, no, Lance no, no. outlined no, no, no. the top I'm, ten. I'm, yeah, no, I'm 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 looking at it and I'm looking at the the players. I'm getting bonuses. Dot com think, said I get bonuses for all these clicks, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and I I think the interesting thing is like you talked about the quarterbacks and he hit on it. Um, San Francisco 49ers having the 13th pick, uh, Javon Kinlaw going there, and as we talk about value and manipulating uh, draft values with. Uh, what you want to do from a personnel standpoint, uh, the trade-off between Javon Kinlaw and DeForest Buckner. DeForest Buckner got a big deal from our buddy Chris Ballard. I think it's, what, 20, 20 mil per that he was averaging on that deal. Well, now you get a younger, cheaper 
uh, athletic version of DeForest Buckner and Javon Kinlaw, and you get him at cost control. And so I just wonder, as we're moving into this new era, and people are trying to find data and analytics and advantages within the market, I do wonder if we're going to see more teams kind of play the game like this, where they are okay investing a top pick in a player, but then moving on from that player at the end of his deal and reinvesting in the same position, trying to hit it. I just think it's interesting that it played out in uh, Lance's mock draft. Yeah, it is. It's a fun one. Uh, let's give you one more uh, nugget here in this mock draft. Again, go to NFL.com. You can find it. Um, but I thought an interesting one here at pick number 20, Jacksonville going oh, with Jordan Love. Yeah. Quarterback falling all the way that? down there to 20. I, Lance, I, I'm interested on this one because I've talked to two teams in the last 24 hours that are not in the quarterback market. And both those teams have Jordan Love over Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something I've had for a long, I had for a long time. I ended up switching it a couple, uh, maybe a week ago or so after I really did the deep dive. And I just, I decided there was a little bit too much risk for me there with Jordan Love. But there are teams that uh, that are very high on him. Can you conceivably see him getting all the way down here to number twenty? I think it'll be tough. I, you know, my, in my mindset, I didn't want to. I think what would happen is a team would trade up for Jordan Love, and I think the team that would make the most sense. And I looked into it, and I tried to make New England trade up, but they don't have the draft capital they typically do. They don't have a second rounder. They don't have an additional first rounder. I'm not sure that Bill Belichick would go you know, this year's first and next year's first for Jordan Love. Well, they'd be flip-flopping spots depending on where you you tried to make that happen. I think Jordan Love would go ahead of 20, but I think it would be a projected trade-up because the teams that I have there, I don't know that that they would be the, the teams that would be looking for Jordan Love. But I unless the Raiders got frisky at 18, but I don't – I mean, I suppose you could do that and you could have – Mark. That, that means that Carr is out – and Marcus Mariota is the gatekeeper, and Jordan Love is the guy that you are going to groom. I, I thought about that very briefly. So I do think it would probably be a trade-up that, that a team would come up to get him earlier than number 20, but I didn't feel like projecting a trade-up because it was hard enough getting through this mock draft. I mean, these things last five, six hours for me. So yeah. um, And then I found out, then I made a couple mistakes like I forgot about Teddy. Oh, you know, originally I had three and seven flip flopping. I had, I had Matt, I had Matt Rule going up and getting Tua, and then uh, Dan Parr goes, "Oh, I know it's been a really crazy time, but did you miss Teddy Bridgewater?" I'm like, "Oh yeah." And this is after I turned in my mock. I'm like, "Oh well, let me just make about seven changes here. This shouldn't take long." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, look, everybody, I encourage you, go to NFL.com, check this thing out. It is it is well thought out, as you can hear from Lance. Um, it's a lot of fun. Rhett had to leave us a few minutes ago. Uh, he had to run. Uh, but, man, it's been it's been great to catch up with you guys today. Fun uh, fun mock. We're going to hopefully keep this thing rolling here as we go. Everybody's kind of at home, um, but we're, we're messing with all these different tools audio-wise, trying to get the quality up a little bit for you guys so we have a little bit better, crisper uh, podcast. But uh, any final thoughts here before we leave, Buck? Uh, no, I think um – just the craziness of team building has kind of boggled my mind. And maybe because I'm at the house more than I've ever been. Uh, <clears throat> it's unbelievable just to see how people are kind of going about their business. And then the prospect of not having off-season workouts, um, you just wonder what the product is going to look like. But then I think what I will do in the interim over the weekend is just kind of look and see how the 2011 lockout impacted the level of play. Because I think – 
<clears throat> we just kind of assume like these quarterbacks going to have a tough time. But Cam Newton was the number one overall pick. They had that lockout in the first two games that he played. I want to say he threw for over 400 yards in each of those games. Yeah, he did. So who, who's to say that you can't hit the ground running? I just think it would be interesting to see how these teams elect to proceed when they don't have the offseason to kind of put everything in place. From my standpoint, if I had something to wrap up, I think it's what's going to be really interesting is is I'm used to getting these pro day reports and finding out who these the next Austin Ecklers are, if there's anyone that's going to test like crazy and force me to go try to scrounge up tape from a Division three school or whatever the case may be. Those guys are going to be secrets. Um, a lot of them are going to go down as secrets, and they're going to pop up somewhere else. The teams that have the boots on the ground with the area scouts who are the sharpest and the best at evaluating and not just the note takers, they're going to go find and mine the diamonds in the rough who become cheap labor for you know two, three, four years, and that's going to end up being a huge advantage. So I think the teams that have really invested in their scouting departments, I think it could end up being a big advantage. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's on them, on those area scouts, to find those diamonds in the rough, especially not just the draft, but in, in free agency, you're going to be able to find some really, really good players that you wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get uh, because they didn't get a chance to shine and show out at their pro day. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. do want to thank uh, the crew there, Nabil, Arjuna, Mark, for, for help put this thing together. Um, and great to have uh, Rhett and Lance join us. It's been fun talking a little football. Uh, encourage you guys just continue to be safe, be smart, and uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.